politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for a degree of humanity that, frankly, our forefathers could not have imagined we'd be fighting for in 1776. This is 1776 times a million here at CR Podcast. It's Thursday, October 12th. And this is the sort of week where you have lifelong lessons through the prism of everything that's going on in the news, through the political news. So we're going to weave back and forth a little bit between domestic, foreign, national security, border, hopefully economy and inflation, and obviously the speaker's fight. I want to start out with a theme that really covers all of it, all of it that we face. We face a problem that it's not communism, it's not liberalism, it's not fascism. It has elements of all the isms. It really does. But it's something that is new. Nation states in the West that simply have no desire to survive. And there is no effective organized force that I have yet to see. I thought we were gathering it with the medical freedom movement, but I'm not seeing anything. A movement to desire to survive. (laughs) That's what it is. Whether it's the birth rates, the self-immolation, the destruction of the culture, the economy, human ingenuity, nothing works anymore. We can't go to the moon anymore. We can't win wars anymore. We can't build normal buildings anymore. You know what I'm saying? This is something much bigger than any one ism. It is... An imbalance, and, 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 and what, is, what is so destructive is that there's an imbalance between the forces of evil and Western civilization that was supposed to be a force for good, but it's no longer a force for good because they don't believe in themselves, where the forces of evil absolutely believe in their lives. So what, what happens when you believe in your life? You have a survival instinct. What's a survival instinct? It motivates you to do whatever is prudent at that moment to survive. You don't have time to meme. You don't have time to own the libs. You don't have time for vanity. You don't have time for grifting. You got to survive. What's What really strikes out to me, there's a quote from a senior Hamas official, Ali Baraka, And he said something very interesting. He said the Israelis are known to love life. We, on the other hand, sacrifice ourselves. We consider our dead to be martyrs. And to me, I was thinking in many ways, it's the opposite of what he said, but he's he's right at the same time. It's really Hamas and and, and the jihadists and, and the Islamists who they value at least their perverted version of life. They believe in the veracity of their belief system. They don't just meme it, just grift it. They believe in it, and they'll fight for it, and they'll do what it takes, even if that means killing yourself. They are so pro their life, their version of life, that they're willing to kill themselves for their life. We, on the other hand, say we believe in living and want to survive and don't like 
killing others and killing ourselves, but we so don't believe in our life that we're the ones who wind up dead. Like I said yesterday, Zephaniah chapter 2, when God begins talking about the war in Gaza and how to save yourself from it, gather yourselves together, ye gather together, O nation, that has no desire. Before it goes on to say, seek the Lord, um, seek righteousness, seek humility, perhaps you'll be saved on the day of the Lord's wrath. We need to come together and put our minds together and show we have a desire. I've been t- talking about this forever. I said, look, what we're doing in primaries is not working. What we're doing in conservative movement is not working. What we're doing in the, with the debt and the immigration numbers is not working. What we're doing with with medical freedom, even after three years of exposing all the lies, is not working. What are we going to do? It's not just, oh, the left self-immolates Western civilization. The right is self-immolating too. And that's what I wanted to start out with today, the speaker's race. And I really hate to say, see, I told you so, but every last thing I predicted happened. Look, I've been against Kevin McCarthy for a decade. I uh, supported Raul Labrador against McCarthy when he originally ascended from being a House Majority Whip to leader after Eric Cantor was defeated in 2014. Uh, Ron DeSantis also supported Labrador at the time. I opposed him at every juncture. But then we we had him by the neck after his betrayal, but it was important we finish the budget fight to either win the budget fight, which is more important than getting out McCarthy, or if he would have betrayed us, there would have been a broader coalition that would have understood he needed to go, we would have had more options, and we would have had the ability possibly to push someone like a Chip Roy or a Byron Donalds or whatever. But instead, Matt Gates had to make it all about himself. Now, I... If you notice, I, I was trying to be very gentle about this next week because last week, that is, because it's tough to find people who will fight. And and I admired elements of, of him and certainly some people joined him, like Andy Biggs, I think really means what he says, and he's such a rare fighter. I, I, I didn't have the heart to say, Andy, I, I think you gotta stand down on this one. It's it's gonna be counterproductive. But I tried to lay out the scenario. I said, look, it's not gonna work out. And then Jim Jordan gets in the race. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, this is amazing. And I told you guys what. I said he's going to have unanimous support on the outside, Trump endorsing, but institutionally the Republican Party has not changed. Scalise is still going to win. And indeed, Scalise won the conference vote 113 to 99. A bunch of people didn't vote, weren't there. Eight or so voted present. Now, it was a little tighter than I thought, actually. I, I what, what did I say? I said 130 to 90. That's what I thought. So it was one thirteen to ninety nine. Wasn't I was I was pretty good guess based on what I saw in the conference. But I would note that it's the conference is even worse than that suggests. The only reason why it was that close is a there's bad blood with McCarthy's people with Scalise. So some of them went over to Jordan, but they're not really like what Jordan is perceived as representing. They're they're establishment dudes. Number two, I mean, Scalise, it really is a pathetic choice. I mean, and this is partly why there is going to be a, a stalemate now, which is good. 
because the worst thing, you know, this shouldn't have been done to begin with, but once it's done, you got to do it right, and it's worth waiting because Scalise is not an option. Scalise is extremely weak. Look, he he is an establishment guy, but doesn't have the fundraising prowess of Kevin McCarthy. He doesn't have the articulation of Kevin McCarthy. He's he's just a nothing. We don't hear from him. So really, he's everything you don't like about McCarthy, but but worse. He's very weak. He has strong institutional whip operation, but outside of that, there's nothing there. And look, God bless him. I really feel for him. He's gone through a lot, and he's not even that old. He almost died from the left-wing attack getting shot, and now he has blood cancer. But at the, So I really sympathize with him, but at the same time, and I know this is partly why even some establishment guys didn't vote for him, is, dude, I mean, if you're going through that, you don't run for speaker. You got to take care of your health. You're just not in a position to be doing that. I'm saying even if you were a great conservative leader, it just doesn't make any sense. Also, look, I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it. In many ways, this is the embodiment of the controlled opposition. So what? He would be our leader. He's literally walking around him and his staff with N95s. Now, look, three years ago, I could understand if you have cancer, you think, look, I just want to do everything I can. I, I respect that. But now you're going to telegraph on your face the symbol of the left that you know it does. I understand you're more vulnerable when you are when you have cancer to viruses or whatever, but a mask doesn't work. That's a big problem. I'm sorry. We, we can't have that as our leader. It, it's just... It's just you, it, it just embodies that we have no desire to survive. We have no desire. The majority of Republicans at a time like this just elect a – forget about everything else, establishment, just a weak. You couldn't have gotten a weaker position. God bless him. God heal him for everything he's gone through. But you don't anoint that guy as your leader now. If anything, he should probably resign and fill the seat and you know, you know, worry about his health. And again, I mean, the guy probably got 50 million shots. He gets a blood cancer. Now, blood cancer is the biggest connection to COVID shots. Now, people get blood cancer, so it's hard to know who is the baseline and who's among the excess that got it from the shots. I don't know. But it's just the irony is just crazy with what's going on. So anyway, Scalise goes and he wins the race. So where does that leave us? Exactly as I predicted, but something else happened exactly as I predicted, and and I want to bring this out about no desire, fake populism, fake French Revolution, an ineffective right that comes full circle and helps out the very cause they claim to oppose, and why we need to do Zephaniah 1, get together, have a desire, pursue objective truth, objective good, objective humility, objective righteousness, and stop with this reactionary crap, these false dichotomies, pursue a balanced approach, what is going to get us the best outcome at a given moment. And it ties into what we've been talking about, this balance of what to do and what not to do with Israel and the Middle East, what to do with our border, what to focus on. And obviously with the speakers fight as well. First, we're sponsored today by our friends at Bambi. Um, we're always told that a private institution should be able to do what they want. But that's only when they're a tool for government fascism. In reality, your company is governed. You know, those of you who have small businesses, if you have three, five, seven employees, you have endless HR issues to deal with, discrimination lawsuits, um, so many regulations, 
And you know how much it costs for an HR manager? It's about 80, 90 grand a year to hire one. What if I told you I can get you 80 grand a year for just 99 bucks a month, $1,200 a year? That's Bambi. So they have the economies of scale to dedicate a specific individual, not some guy in India, but an English speaker that's available by phone, email, or real time to basically be your HR person, dedicated to onboarding, determinations, team members, peak performance analysis, and uh, make, making sure you stay compliant with the ever-growing HR regs. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, feedback. This is really what it's all about. It's a U.S.-based, it's 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 the best deal. And you don't have to commit to $1,200 a year. It's $99 a month. So you could you know cancel any time and schedule your free conversation. Doesn't cost you anything. Go to Bambi.com right now. There's no URL, but you type in under podcast. They ask you where you heard about it. Conservative review. Conservative review. Bam to the B. B-A-M-B-E-E.com. Folks, let Bambi take the crap off your plate. So I warned you guys. I said, I am concerned about Matt Gates that he's going to so badly want to make this about McCarthy and show that he didn't break the system and seamlessly we got it together. And he's going to support Scalise. I said, Scalise is going to win and he's going to support. And I was exactly right. The, the biggest irony, we had the 16 and the 5. Okay, We had most of the guys that joined the original fight did not join this. Not that they support McCarthy. They felt they had a more effective way of focusing on the budget, and eventually getting out McCarthy with more capital. Okay? They did not join. But some guys are like, oh, I just got out of McCarthy. Okay, fine. Okay. Ironically, you come yesterday, all, every one of the 16, every one of them, um, they went ahead and they were like, Scalise is not an option. Like People like Chip Roy, Dan Bishop... And no, we're not we're not supporting him. And that's why they had to pull it from the floor. They first tried to hold a floor vote an hour later. And that's what they wanted to do. They would have just blitzed us. Thankfully, we set up an apparatus now where we have 20, 30 guys willing to fight. And it's a good thing. Without that, they would have totally... I, I just want you to understand. Scalise is a dead man walking. And, and I, I, I don't say that with relishing it at all he seems like a, a genuinely decent human being but we don't freaking have time for this we don't have time for this but they had no th these people I, I was speaking with uh one of my favorite members today we had a long conversation we were just talking about it. he was telling me these guys just they literally don't think like us they don't see anything they don't gain inspiration from what's going on in israel the border inflation the covid deaths the shots, just nothing. They're just there for the just sake of it, while the left is just demolishing us. But at the same time, we have this Trump-inspired right where you just look at the superficiality of fighting, but you don't actually do anything, and you ironically serve as the ultimate controlled opposition because you're coming behind the Republicans saying, no, they're controlled, we're the new solution, and then you act the same way, but a little just you know, more aggressive with your rhetoric. Oh, we just need to get rid of McCarthy. Ironically, it was most of the original eight 
that voted to get rid of McCarthy suddenly like, we're fine with Scalise. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean to tell me you guys were willing to blow up the conference for this? And the answer is yes, because as I warned, they're going to feel the pressure and they're going to want to show that they were right and they don't want a messy fight because then they're going to be blamed. So they're going to be like, okay, let's just support Scalise. Let's just end this. But what outcome did you get then? It, it, genuinely, if, if you put a gun to my head and said Scalise or McCarthy, I'd support McCarthy. He's a better fundraiser. He, at least when he's on message, he's more articulate. He has more energy. And he did establish a rapport with a lot of our people. Now, he did violate it in some ways, but it gets a little complicated because, like I said, often it was some of our own people that actually did us in, like Jim Jordan with the Weaponization Committee. McCarthy would have given us stuff. And again, I'm not here to defend him. I was the original guy who opposed him. But there's a right time, way, and strategy of doing it. You know, where Scalise would not have honored any of those agreements. So, I mean, again, I was trying to be gentle because there are some good qualities to Matt Gates, but man, he sure is lending credence to his political opponents that this was just personal against McCarthy. It sure looks like it's just personal. And we don't have time. And look, I disagreed with them strategically, but the two best people among those eight Andy Biggs and Bob Good are not supportive of Scalise because they mean what they say. I do believe it was the wrong strategy, but some of these other guys are just... And then, ironically, Nancy Mace, she is all over the map. She's opposing Scalise from the left. Only she could come up with this. She's like, they dug up a comment from Scalise years ago where he joke, jokingly, I'm David Duke without the baggage. I can't vote for anyone who said that. And, and that was years ago. He's been respected by the conference. No one thinks he's like that. That's not the argument against him. I mean, th this is what we elevate. This is what the Trump movement has done. Nancy Mace is a hero. Ron DeSantis is garbage. We have no desire. You can't just flail out. Outcomes, outcomes, what is the best thing? Notice what I do every time. I'm like, now's the time to go after McCarthy. I would have rather we had taken a little bit longer, but Trump screwed us over and pressured our guys, so they had to stand down. I was like, all right, what's the best we can make of it? God gives you an opportunity, and if I'm going to be in this arena, I have an obligation to give over to you what is the best option in a given moment, even if we're in a position that I think we shouldn't have been and I advocated against, but now you got to make the best of it. Likewise, this was the wrong strategy, but once it was, I said, look, I'm going to support it. What you can't do is, McCarthy, get rid of him, get rid of him, get rid of him. Oh, uh, Scalise is fine. No, 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 no. Matt Gates, you're not going to get us into this, and then suddenly anyone but McCarthy is fine. That's not okay. That's nonsense. And it's that type of just mindless rudderless, definitionless, populism, French Revolution garbage that lands in the same place as the establishment. Our founders were the ultimate moderates. At one end of the spectrum, you have full democracy. At the other one, you have oligarchy. But they act, it's really a circle. It's not a spectrum. So the most extreme, right-wing, hardcore thing is actually in the middle because you're the farthest away from either thing. 
You land in the same place. Oh, I'm going to be really... So, so it's a similar thing now you're finding with Israel, where there are some on the right that it's not like this is stupid, this is grift, this is what we should be doing, this is not what we should be doing. There's no vision. It's just like, I'm sick of the warmongers. And, and we all are. But what is your... We're not pacifists. We're America first. That everything that comes up in the world, what is in our best interests? Okay? But you don't be like, oh, because Lindsey Graham, for his purposes, is supporting Israel, but then a bunch of other stupid things that undermine them, as I said yesterday. So therefore, you know what? You know what? The Palestinians have a point. Uh, you know, I'm worried about the civilians. And we start contradicting ourselves. So all these so-called right-wing vanguards of Western civilization are like, we don't believe in ourselves. We don't fight wars to win anymore. We're a bunch of losers. And then they're like, Israel better not go Dresden on... Well, what, huh? So this is how we're kind of caught between, I don't know if you saw, there was this whole debate back and forth, this whole thing between Ben Shapiro and Tucker Carlson. And, and, and the problem is that each one's a rubber band on each other. You know, I'm kind of caught in the middle because on the one hand, I, I agree with Ben's, you know, very much that, that there's some people on the right that are just, like, they're parlaying this whole, like, I don't want to hear about anything foreign into downright supporting evil and just like not, you know, being pro-Palestinian type of thing. And no understanding that the good and evil is so important. There are so many important lessons to learn. And, you know, now that doesn't mean, you know, you just do a bunch of stupid things like we said yesterday. It's actually a matter of a minimalist approach undoing Biden's policies just simply not doing them will protect America, protect Israel, and you don't have to turn Israel into 51st state of Ukraine. No one's asking for that. And uh, DeSantis directly articulated that. I mean, that guy has been, you know, I felt when he started the campaign, he could have been stronger. There were times he wasn't on message. Boy, this week, I mean, that is what we're talking about. A guy that desires society to, to survive. Sadly, I think, it's a society that doesn't deserve nor want him. Um, but that's that's what it should look like. Not this rubber band effect of, you know, because we've been too neocon, so now we're going to become anti-Israel. It's just stupid. But then on the other hand, I understand Tucker's people are reacting to kind of people like Shapiro, where, you know, they... <laughs> it, it, <laughs> In other words, again, I really sympathize with Shapiro. I, I have the same sentiments, but the thing is that he has advocated for Iraq and Afghanistan and Ukraine and all this stuff. And like I said, ironically, A, that's undermined Israel. It's exhausted our resolve. So people rightfully are very leery. Oh, here you go again. You're talking about Islam. You're going to another 9-11. We're going to get mired in more wars. And that's why I said, look, you need to recognize the evil we're up against, which is a big problem. How does it affect us? How does it affect us? Where we need to take it, where we don't. We need to be specific. And that's what we're going to try to do here. But because of that, you have this kind of action-reaction, action-reaction. And everyone's reacting to each other. Man, I hate Lindsey Graham so much that I'm going to start hating Israel. And I'm going to support Hamas. You know, it's it just stupid. And then, and then you have that whole cadre that I think we're being lied to on everything and the left is lying to us, so therefore, 
show me the babies, show me the babies, show me the decapitation, you know, that whole retardedness. No, I mean, there are there there are real evils. I've explained actually how if you're someone that believes that Western government oligarchs are the source of all evil, the two work together. We are vulnerable to other evils that do exist because of the evil Western oligarchs that violated the social compact and you know don't care for their own people. American government, Canadian government, Israeli government, European government. Um, you know, y- you got to follow the facts, the truth. You, you can't be. It's not. It's not one or the other. But you know, this this is the problem we're facing because. Some supporters of Israel are kind of these same guys that have been wrong on so many things domestic and foreign. It turns people off. And then they you know, think, oh, you, you want to just uh, do regime change in Iran or this or that. And, and, and then they start kind of promoting almost quasi-pro-Iran talking points, which is stupid. You don't need to be doing that. You don't need to be doing that. It's, it, it's, just, it's just that simple. And... And this this is kind of playing out a little bit with DeSantis and Trump now. So Trump made these comments in Palm Beach. He gave a speech where he started saying, you know, Israeli government's stupid. Hamas, uh, Hezbollah's smart. They're saying maybe Hamas will attack uh, or Hezbollah will attack us in the north. And lo and behold, they're doing that because Israel's stupid. And then he went on to attack Netanyahu and said he didn't help me going after Soleimani and all sorts of stuff like that. Okay. So, you know, DeSantis obviously jumped on that, attacked him. And some of the DeSantis allies are really saying, oh my gosh, you know, Trump is pro Hezbollah. Now, I would argue some of his supporters are now taking in that direction. Again, in order to own one side, we're now going to support the opposite thing. That's how DeSantis is garbage, Christy Nome is great, criminal justice reform and Kim Kardashian are great because Trump support. This is the thing. Nobody has any beliefs. The truth is, I'm somewhere in the middle on that, which might sound like I'm letting Trump a little bit more off the hook, but actually I'm coming down even harder on him. To be fair, I don't think Trump was being pro Hezbollah for what he said. And I'm not even so bothered by the, you know, him saying that Hezbollah operates smartly. That's not wrong. It's actually kind of what we're saying. They believe in what we believe. Israeli civilization don't. It's a different point that I think people don't realize. The reason he is so pissed off at Netanyahu, a lot of people don't know. Like, what do you, I thought they were allies. He never forgave him. Nothing to do with policy. It's that along with every other world leader, Netanyahu called Biden to congratulate him when the race was called for him. He had no choice. Every other, I mean, there's nothing he can do, and Trump doesn't forgive him for that. Okay? And, you know, if you think, you know, I think we need to be leery of Israel. I don't know. You know, Israel's got some problems. I could respect that if you have some sort of philosophy behind that. That's not where he's coming from. A lot of Trump supporters are now turning anti-Israel, whatever. And again, most rank and file are not. But I'm talking about these online losers. Um, you know, and most members of Congress who support Trump are not like that. But... Trump himself, it's all about himself. We don't freaking have time for this. 
There's so much going on. Look at DeSantis every day calling the play calls. This is what we should do down to. He sounds like a leader. Trump sounds, you listen to him. He sounds retarded. Everyone's like, this is appalling what he, I don't really think it's appalling what he said. I, I, I don't think it's fair to characterize it as pro Hezbollah. He just sounds retarded off message, self-fulfilling. It's all about every geopolitical thing is him. We, we don't have time for this. We just don't. It, it, it's not so much the content, but it's the judgment. Islam is at war with all of us. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying it the way Nikki Haley does, that we have to Ukrainize Israel and, you know, you know regime change in Iran. But we, we need to be dead serious at this time to deal with our border, our visa system, a lot of things. In Israel's darkest hour, this is not the time to piss on Israel. It, it just isn't. And, and again... If Trump had reservations about Israel, I could almost respect it. Okay, that's your position. But everyone knows it's not. I mean, he's not anti-Israel. He's the most pro-Israel president ever. It's all personal. In other words, Trump might have a guiding principle that is aligned with us. But let's say, let me just make it up, but it's not really an exaggeration. Let's say a Hamas, Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda leader said something nice like Trump's a warrior. And let's say someone in Israel did something he didn't like. He will define our geopolitical position based on that. That is a problem. We don't have time for that. Just like we don't have time for Matt Gates's crap of get out McCarthy in the worst way at the worst time and then say Scalise is fine just to be a self-serving. We don't have time for this. This just reactionary garbage. Trump's not even reactionary. Reactionary is an intellectual movement where I'm just going to oppose categorically, you know, neocons drink tea, so I'm going to stop drinking tea. You know, that type of thing. Trump is just more like a like, like a low IQ doggy. Go fetch. <laughs> like, it's just like a one-dimensional unicell. There's just nothing there. Listen to that speech. He sounds like Fetterman. I'm not offended by anything he said. It's more like he just sounds like a retard. We, we don't need that now. And I think that's what's bothering some people about some of these Trump supporters. There, there's a morality here. Morality matters. Okay? This is divorce from saying, oh, we need to send the Navy SEALs and, you know, Delta Force over to... No, no. But, you know, you do got to recognize good and evil. There's something to be said about that. We do have foreign policy statecraft divorced from neocon-style nation-building. There's a lot of things we can do, not do. And, and to be fair, on some of these things, Trump did do effectively. Trump was not a pacifist. Mainly, he was peace through strength that used alliances, and you know that's what you're supposed to do. Realign Saudi Arabia and Egypt to isolate Qatar and Iran rather than the other way around. It's that simple. Doesn't cost you anything. And that's the point. You, you, you can't just be this reactionary nonsense. It, it, it doesn't do, do any good for you. And, you know, 
part, part, part of the thing is, the reason why this is so important, what happened there in Israel, I'm telling you, like I said yesterday, I am more concerned even about BLM than I am at this point about Hezbollah and Hamas cells. I'm not trying to alarm people for the sake of alarming people. When BLM put out those memes with flying paragliders, they take that to heart. The wheels are churning in their brains. They're very inspired by that. I want you guys to think about, it was always a a thought that went through my mind. You know, there's a lot of tenuous situations where you have a lot of evil and violence very close to peaceful people. And somehow there's a system of order that holds it. But what if they ever broke that down? Right, That's what Gaza was. I mean, you got um, a handful of these communities around Gaza. You know, each one has like a, you know, 500 people, 1,000 people living in them. And you got 2 million people in Gaza, violent as hell. You know, yeah, what would ever happen if they pour over and we found out? You have all these inner cities in America, bloods and crips and gangs and violence, all these people let out from prison over the last 10 years. What would happen if one day they said, we're going to do some decolonizing, fanned out to the suburbs? Don't think that's not going through their minds with that meme BLM put out, because they already rampaged everywhere. The next step would be to go house to house. I'm not trying to alarm people as much as to inform. To me, that's the biggest takeaway, even more so than Hamas. And and I want to get to that. And maybe we'll get to that now. But just so you know, we we got to be precise. I, I wish I can get together with the 100 biggest names. Let's get in a room. Let's pray together. Let's strategize together. Let's say, let's put our careers on a shelf What are our best ideas that we could kind of augment together? We need that. Oh, gather, oh, gather, nation that has no desire. What's the first thing? Gather, seek righteousness. Just stop this memeing and this just ideological log rolling to change your views on things to accommodate a person or idea or they're doing that for this reason, so I'm going to oppose it. Just because, just, just just stop. And again, it kind of what we're seeing with this whole, oh, I don't want to be a neocon retard, so therefore I'm just going to be a pacifist as an end to itself, is kind of like this whole thing, oh, I want to get out McCarthy, so I'm just going to have Scalise. The two really reflect each other. But I want to, I want to take this back to our border um, and talk about, again, give, give this vision of, of, of where we need to take this, and we do have the budget fight coming up very, very soon. And what is it, this November 17th deadline? We really do need to prepare. We've never had more tailwinds to use the border, but we got to do it correctly. We got to do it correctly. So, a couple things. First off, this segment is sponsored by our friends at QP Goat Soap. Almost forgot. QPGoatSoap.com. That stands for Quinn Pittman, our 16-year-old Christian homeschooling entrepreneur from Volusia County, Florida, who makes goat soap. Yes, why goat soap? You know, where did that come from? Just buy the cheap garbage on the shelves. 
Well, the problem with that stuff is it's pro-inflammatory. It's junk. A lot of it can't even be called soap. Uh, goat milk, it's kind of like if you picture chocolate milk, mixing it with water versus mixing it with milk. It's much creamier, better, smoother, and delicious with milk. So goat milk contains proteins that are easily absorbed into your skin. It's why with QP goat soap, you don't feel that dryness as natural alpha hydroxy acids, which can slough um, away these dead skin cells. It has vitamin A, it has selenium, palm oil, uh, contributes to your skin's well-being, and it also does feel smoother. It really feels good. So again, go to qpgoatsoap.com, promo code Daniel for 10% off, free shipping with all orders above 30 bucks, and they're selling their full all seasons, four seasons soaps, so you can have a full year of different scents, all different scents and smells, different types for 99 bucks. They they did this last year, doing it again in honor of Christmas. Um, it's not too early to start looking for presents. And this is a very unique present. Um, it doubles up as soap and really scent for your bathroom. So again, qpgoatsoap.com slash Daniel for 10% off. So folks, I, I want to hammer home, and I've been calling members of Congress even more important than the border, the best thing you can do is advocate for Josh Hawley's bill, who he has a bill out that would allow states to deport. You're never going to get the Biden administration to secure the border. They'll violate the law because they're already violating the law. The best way is to leverage the incentives. Right, Illegal immigration is all about incentives. You cut off the incentives, they won't come. And then, like I said, once you don't have millions of people flowing over, the security aspect of the border is so much easier to deal with. So that needs to be cut off. So the incentive of the feds needs to be countered with a disincentive from the states. Josh Hawley's bill, I'm trying to get a House sponsor for it. We need to push state enforcement for the same political capital that you're going to fight over the the HR2, I'm telling you, you could get something better. And ironically, you're more likely to get buy-in from someone like the New York City mayor who would love to have the localities have the ability to move them out. So that's number one. But about the border itself, we don't understand what a border is. We don't understand what a border is. I want to I, I want to go over that. There's a friend of mine who's in Border Patrol and he serves on a riverine unit in the Rio Grande River in the RGV sector, the busiest sector, although um, Del Rio has kind of taken that over, but uh, busy area. And he sent me this long note. He said, to quote the U.S. Marine Corps, how we view the combat environment largely determines how we operate in it. And that's the problem. He said, in two decades since DHS has been created, the landscape has dramatically shifted. Mexico, once an ally, is now grappling with increasing authoritarianism and is is a failed state. Cartels, once more criminals, now pose a strategic threat, blurring the lines between crime and warfare. These cartels, with their evolving foreign policies, operate deep within the U.S. Mass migration has transformed into a weapon manipulated by global entities and even our own government. In other words, it's not just, it used to be ones and twos at a time coming to, you know, work and whatever. I mean, doesn't justify it and we need to 
block it, but it wasn't a concerted weaponization by our own government and other NGOs. Um, obviously, our sovereignty is under duress. Our nation's adversaries, including China, Iran, Russia, Venezuela, Hamas, and Hezbollah, have a vested interest in maintaining our permeable borders. And then he notes that, where is this? Just reading here. Moreover, the Border Patrol's very ethos has shifted. George Orwell, in his novel 1984, introduces Newspeak, where words undergo redefinition to serve a particular ideology. It's an eerie reflection of the realities in dictatorships where language deteriorates under regimes. The degradation of language corrupts thought. Have our border security terminologies been subjected to such manipulative redefinitions? Unequivocally, yes. Now, over 20 years later, our national borders are in crisis, framed and redefined by agendas and terminologies that obscure the true nature of the threat. The federal government, in collaboration with the NGOs, has deliberately cast our border situation as primarily humanitarian, immigration-centric issue. The metrics established in law to gauge security of the border, such as the number of apprehensions, turnbacks, and gotaways, stem from this mindset. Progressive elites and policymakers are muddying the waters around definitions of immigration citizenship. The conflation of legal with illegal immigration of citizen non-citizen is an alarming trend that has been propagated by the left, turning agencies meant to safeguard our borders into humanitarian entities, basically, you know, just giving them benefits. Given this framing, the federal government asserts primacy over all border-related matters, effectively declaring the individual states lack the authority to secure their borders. The outcome? The states are left defenseless against weaponized mass migration, narco-terrorists, and other national security threats. And, you know, it's a very long email, very thoughtful. This is a brilliant guy, been talking to for many, for many years. He's served there for many years. He also served in the military. And he said, look, clarity is our strongest ally. It's critical now more than ever to cut through the redefined rhetoric, stay vigilant, and reaffirm our commitment to the principles upon which Operation Hold the Line was built. It's hold the damn line. It needs to be invasion, invasion, invasion. It's not immigration. It's not, certainly not humanitarian. I hate when Republicans veer into that. The way to frame it is invasion because that makes it that states can fight back. That's number one. And number two, now is the time to harness when everyone has those indelible images in their minds where you have a first world country that supposedly had the greatest security apparatus suffer a Rwanda-style hatcheting, kind of suburban homes, you know, just that stuff to happen. We need to really, really get ahead of that. I mean, people have no idea. The stuff you saw around Gaza in the Israeli communities the, the cartels do that. I mean, a lot of it's cartel and cartel violence, but they, they, they cut out, dismember, burn people alive. That's what they do. Um, they're doing that right at the border. I mean, you could hear the gunshots, often from Fronton, uh, Texas, all the way to Brownsville. You know, those areas, you could hear them across the river. They're right there. They're right there. Now, again, I am not saying right now we need to go headfirst in and create a buffer zone. Eventually, that might need to be done. Now you just shut off the magnets, have states, you know, um, deputize states to secure the border. 
uh, hold the line at the border in a military style, you know, op, and then and then we'll see. It could very well be you don't have to go into Mexico. Worst comes to worst, you have to create a buffer zone. But that that is something to keep in mind. You know, there was always this notion that, you know, it's just not in the cartel's best interests. And, and, and I, I, I want to make it clear, this is why it's so important to understand morality and good and evil. You don't have evildoers right on your border and say, there's an intellectual reason I could posit while, why they will never attack us. And there might be truth to that. But in the long run, evil is evil. And you never want to put your neck up to someone's sword and say, there's a reason they're not going to put it down on me. There might be a reason, but I don't want my neck in that sword, in that guillotine. And notice that this is from a very, very smart border agent. He's very well steeped in philosophy. He's, he's a really good guy. He served in the military as well for many years, doubled up actually as both in the military and border patrol. And he is starting to warn, like, this is not just a narco thing. Until now, the idea was they just want to make their money, so they certainly don't want to start up with Americans. Uh, they don't want to uh, kill Americans. They just want to, because they don't want to raise the ire of the American government. They just want Americans, they add ah, just drugs and, and keep it going. But there are signs that is changing. There are slow signs. And, and again, I want you to understand there's no middle ground. You need to be prepared. Once that changes, you're screwed. And, and the biggest thing to learn from Israel is Auschwitz borders. Israel has Auschwitz borders. Thanks to the State Department, the EU, the UN for decades isolating Israel, making them to give up land, there's not a single part of their country that's not within a few miles of either you know, Hamas in, in uh, Gaza, the equivalent in Judea and Samaria, or in the north, you know, the Golan with Syria or the Galilee with uh, Lebanon. I mean, and then you got the Mediterranean Sea. There, there's nothing there, right? If you were to give them full control of Judea and Samaria, you literally have a strip of coastal plain that's like eight miles wide. There's nothing there. And it was done by design. It's Auschwitz borders. I forgot one of their foreign ministers like decades ago. That's what that's what he called it. And and it it it, it is very it was a very eerie statement because it, it that it became it became true. That's that's what you saw on Saturday and Sunday in Israel. The fulfillment of Auschwitz borders. What we've learned is you need to distance yourself from these people. You cannot so ultimately Again, I mean, you got to walk before you run. So what I would say is it's what DeSantis is talking about. You treat the border. So first of all, again, immigration is not even the border. Like I said, it's not even the border wall. That's a distraction. Immigration is straight up. No bennies. States could cut off all bennies. We need a bill. States cut off all bennies. Deport. And and the border states could deport and do border, border ops. And other states could help contribute and help Texas with that. That's the bill we need. But then from a security standpoint, it's not law enforcement. It's not humanitarian. It's not, you know, immigration, migrants. Okay? It's, it's, it's a war zone. Hold the line. It's a military perimeter. And that's what DeSantis is saying, that the minute they challenge a border wall or an asset, you shoot them 
stone cold dead. You gotta stuff it at the line. You do all that, I think it will be a different world. We'll see what happens. The cartels want to openly challenge us then. Yeah, then you're going to have to start talking about a buffer zone. We might not have to do that. But if we don't take those steps, we're screwed. You cannot wait for this to happen. That was the mistake Israel made. It seems like from the best I've read is that they – well, not the best I've read. Hamas literally said this. There's there's this Hamas guy who gave this interview – that literally said Israel stupidly thought that we finally wanted to govern and focus on the people of Gaza. He, he said this. It's unbelievable. This is his words. Focus on the people of Gaza. So they basically tricked Israel into thinking that all the rockets were coming from Islamic Jihad, which is viewed as a more extreme as splinter. But they were done with it, and they put that out to their double agents and everything. So Israel, like, yeah, you know, the Hamas is there, but you know what? They're they're they're, they're kind of done with jihad. They're 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 not going to. It's not in their best interest to attack us. And for whatever reason, they didn't have enough assets there, and whatever. And then they started a couple days before they did. They ops tested their fence, and they cut holes in it and blew up things. And Israel let it let it go on. And that's how you know you get over. And you had within a mile, one to three miles of the border, not just that music festival, which was taking place right there, but all these standing communities that just, they just came in. And that was it. They came in with RPGs. They came in with fire, like literally setting things on fire. And they came in with machine guns. And that's all they needed. Burn people alive, shoot them up, decapitate, rape, all dismember all sorts of things. Um, the cartels literally do that. And they're literally right there. And we literally have communities right within a mile of the border. And yet, we have governments like we have in in Arizona that charged a border rancher with murder for shooting someone that the cartels brought in and they're using the cartel guys as star witnesses against the freaking guy. This is a country that has no desire to live. That, that's what it is. They don't want anyone else to live. They don't want themselves to live. That's the COVID stuff. That's the biomedical tyranny. That's the vaccines. That's the remdesivir. We've literally become a hemlock society. But those of us on the right that claim to get it and we know what time it is and we're done with the GOP of yesteryear and we're going to fight effectively, if we really believe what we're saying, we need to not create our own version of hemlock. Where we just want to commit suicide, we just want to yell, we just want to act out, we just want to sound off, dance around in a circle. We need a plan. And, and you know, of all people, I'm certainly not one to believe that the presidential election is the end all. But boy, oh boy, do those two people represent the two wings of what I'm talking about. A wing that actually wants to implement what we say we believe in and a wing that doesn't believe in what they say and just wants to act out. Again, you can never build an alternative or even evacuate your, yourself from, from the evil we all say we're living in 
without an affirmative belief system. Reactionaryism does not work. It's nothing. It might at a given time overlap with the truth and serve a function here and there. But in the long run, you land in the same problem. You land in the same position. That's the issue. You know, one of the most astounding things came out this morning in an interview. I don't know who this interview was with. Henry Kissinger. I mean, the ultimate globalist leftist for so many years. It was a grave mistake to let in so many people of totally different culture and religion and concepts because it creates a pressure group inside each country that does just that. Commenting on, I think he was commenting on the in Germany celebrating Hamas and, you know, obviously it was in every country. In Australia, they were chanting gas the Jews. Hey, yeah, Henry, a little bit, a little bit too late to come to that position. But all we can do is what we can do. I could say it's too late, and it might be. But God, as horrific as things happen, commensurate with how horrific these events are, is how much of an opportunity we have to use the vivid imagery to, to uh, offer lessons. I, I really think this is something that has struck a chord with the people. A lot of people are like, Daniel, I, I want to go back to the vaccines. I want to go back to the domestic stuff. I'm focusing. I'm bringing it all back to domestic. We need to use those lessons on the border, on immigration, on culture, on our instinct to survive. We need to bring those lessons home. We can't afford to ignore them because there are opportunities there. The problem is numbers don't matter. I could show you the inflation numbers, this, the that, the debt numbers, but people do understand imagery. I'll tell you what I've heard from people that are familiar with what's going on in Israel. I've been calling around to kind of get perspective and, and, and learn about different things, what's going on. And what I'm hearing is, so, so again, the, the country, Israel in many ways is like Trump. It's perceived as one thing, but in reality is literally often the polar opposite. Everyone knows most Jews are liberal and, you know, the secular, you know, most are secular and therefore they're liberal. And, you know, most of Israel is still secular, although that is changing. And, you know, they're pacifists. They really are. I mean, I mean, the sad irony, I'm sure you've seen a lot of these stories. The music festival was a bunch of, you know, literally peace hippies. And then even some of those communities, I saw a story that there was one guy whose family was murdered. He was on his way out the door to an annual event he does of flying what he calls peace kites at the Gaza border. Like, so the Gazans could see, like, this kind of coexist type of thing. I mean, it's unreal. It's Orwellian what happened. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, and, and again, I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to relish in, say, oh, a bunch of leftists were murdered. No, 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 I'm not saying that's not my point. It's, it's an attack on all, all of us, all of humanity, not just all Jews, all Christians, everyone. Um, but what I'm trying to say is that, you know, Israel is was full of that. I mean, a lot of you might have seen hundreds of thousands of people, which is a crazy amount for a country of 9 million, turning out at these rallies against judicial reform that the Biden administration fomented and all this stuff. So this is the pro- 
Israel is not a victim of being too militaristic and bombing things too much. Just the opposite. They've shifted the Overton window because they've tolerated this for so long because they actually are very pacifist that now they're they're suffering because now everyone's like, well, you know, this is this is how it goes. You constantly are under a barrage of rockets and, you know, maybe you can knock down a few buildings in response, but that's about it. What I am hearing is that the Soros-funded leftists in Israel right now, they want to kill, like, like just level Gaza. <laughs> so that's what I'm hearing is the sentiment there. And I think, ultimately, that's what it's going to take over here. But my hope is that we don't have to have that happen here. And my hope is that that has done that enough. If Republicans cannot have a legitimate border fight over the budget, now... I, I don't know what it's going to take. Forward looking. And that's what I'm working on every day. You guys send me great ideas as well. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Forward looking. We have no choice. Do you desire to live? I don't desire to politic. I don't really enjoy it. I wish I did something else for a living. And frankly, I often think about doing that. But if I'm going to do this, it's got to be forward-looking, and I need your help to support this show. Send it to everyone you know. It's different than you're going to hear, I promise you. Whether you agree or disagree, it's my own talking points, my own way of thinking. It's not the same drivel that right-wing media seems to put out. Um, in many ways, it's the true right-wing, but I'm also – it's moderate at the same time because the ultimate moderate is not mush – is balanced to achieve the most hardcore outcome we can in pursuit of our principles. But you have to identify those principles and believe in them first. So we're going to, again, continue on some of these themes tomorrow as well. We'll monitor the speaker's race, the budget fight, what comes out of that, border stuff. I have more stuff to talk about with Venezuela, the nexus of Venezuela and Hezbollah, big, big problem. Might have a guest on tomorrow as well on that. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening. We are at a tipping point in America. With 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system and a quarter of those awaiting a forever family, Christians must step up. This is Jack Graham, senior pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church, inviting you to Chosen, a summit addressing these urgent needs on Saturday, April 13th. Chosen will empower churches to begin foster care and adoption ministries and equip families who are adopting or fostering. We have great speakers joining me, including Sadie Robertson-Huff and Governor Greg Abbott of the great state of Texas, along with dozens of breakout sessions. I urge you to join us and help make a difference in the lives of these precious children. Register at Prestonwood.org chosen.